Amen. I've been teaching a series, uh, The First Step to Your Greatest Successes in Life. And I purposely said your greatest successes because God wants us to live life abundantly. And the first step to our greatest successes is to learn how to come to a place where we could pray what Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, not my way, but your will and your way be done in my life. You know, sometimes, and I, I've added, for those of you that are more astute to scriptures, you know Jesus didn't say, not my way. He said, not my will, your will be done. And the reason why I added not my will and not my way is because sometimes we get hold of the will of God, but then we do it our way. Frank Sinatra went to his grave singing, I did it my way. I don't want to go to my grave singing, I did it my way. I want to do God's will, and I want to do it God's way. Can I get an agreement? Our greatest success in life is when we come into the God life, when we learn how to flow from our spirit to his spirit. And I've been saying over the weeks that we are spirit, soul, and body. We live body, soul, and spirit, and that's what brings such disorder to our lives. Listen, there are a lot of disciplines that are actually taught in the scriptures that we as Christians today know nothing or very little about. In fact, I'll be quite honest to say we are very much an undisciplined body. Our spirit can grow. I showed you several weeks ago how scripture said, speaking of John the Baptist, soon after he was born, it said he grew in stature and he grew in spirit. That's a concept that's hardly ever preached, and yet it's in the word of God. Your spirit can grow, and God wants your spirit to grow. There's another scripture, uh, the following chapter in, in Luke, and it says, uh, and Jesus grew in stature and in spirit. I want my spirit to grow. I don't need my body to grow anymore, thank you very much. I want my spirit to grow. I want to be strong in my spirit. And the problem is that we live from our body and our soul. We do the things that please this, and we do the things that please our emotions. That's in your soul, the mind of your emotions. And we please the things that uh, satisfy the mind of our intellect. We want to know things. We want to watch things. We want to hear things. We want to experience things. I'm not saying that's a sin. What I'm saying is that when those things rule over your spirit, they will drown out your spirit and you will hear from your body and you will hear from your soul, but you will not hear from your spirit. And the sad thing about that is God speaks spirit to spirit. David says in the Psalms, deep speaks to deep. The spirit of God communicates to our spirit. How many of you want to hear more from God's voice, from his spirit? Turn to somebody and say it. I want to hear more. Come on. Now do this here. I, I don't get you to repeat these things only because it breaks the monotony of my voice. <laughs> I don't only do it so that it helps build memory. 
I get you to repeat things because I want you to make the declaration. And so make this declaration. Turn to somebody and say, I intend and I have determined that I will allow my spirit to grow stronger than my body and my soul. All right, we just made a declaration. We need to, now I'm not trying to trick you. Oh, he got me to make a vow. No, you didn't make a vow. But I'm getting you to put it out there in the atmosphere to condition your mind. I'm going to do everything I can to make my spirit grow and be stronger than my, the wants of my body and the wants of my soul. Can I get a, an agreement? All right. Two weeks ago, I shared how to make your spirit grow and cut it loose. And in sharing that message, I read something that Jesus said. He asked his disciples, his, his crowning moment, everything Jesus came for was culminated in the fact that he would die on the cross. Not that ministering to people day to day wasn't important. But by dying on the cross, what he did through his three and a half years of ministry, by dying on the cross, he made it legal that you and I could do the same thing in Jesus' name. And so on the cross, this was absolute paramount because he was purchasing once and for all the right and the power to redeem humanity from the control of demons. I don't live in the kingdom of darkness anymore. He is not my master. He is not my controller. He is not my Lord. When I said yes to Jesus Christ, when you said yes to Jesus Christ, you were literally, literally taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you were positioned into the kingdom of God. There is a new Lord and master over my life, and he is benevolent, he is kind. In fact, he doesn't just want me to know him as Lord and master. He raised me up and made me a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And so Jesus asked his disciples, come pray with me. This is paramount. I'm about to seal the deal. And he brings them into a garden to pray just maybe 24 hours before he was to end up on the cross. The mind of his logic, his intellect, the mind of his emotions were screaming. You really want to go through with this? You sure you want to go through the agony of a Roman crucifixion? He needed his, his guys, his homies, to come with him in the garden and pray. He needed the support. Here's the problem. God is often looking for the support of the church to be a conduit through which he could move. Jesus, God in the flesh, needed their support. And when he asked them to pray, they kept falling asleep. Do you know that when you get into spiritual battle, you will often feel too tired? Yeah, thank you. Who said that? Uh, Lydia, a preacher's daughter. Of course she said preach. 
But when we get into spiritual battle, one of the weapons is the enemy tries to make us tired. Look around. Daylight savings. We're tired. I lost a whole hour of sleep. And so Jesus asked his disciples to pray, and they fell asleep. You see, they weren't in tune in their spirit, or they would have sensed this is paramount. They weren't strong in their spirit, because otherwise their spirit would have overridden their flesh. Jesus came back a couple of times and said, guys, can't you pray one hour? Let me ask you a question. How many times in the gospel do you ever see Jesus asking his disciples to pray an hour? You don't. You will often find that Jesus went away from his disciples and the crowd and he went to pray. There one big moment at the back. One big moment at the plate. But because they were riding the wave, they were still stronger in their flesh than they were in their spirit. You know what my job is? My job is to make you strong in your spirit. It is. It's my job. I'm a coach. Pastor? Yeah, I coach. And my job is to raise up heroes. Stars, outfielders that are second to none, quarterbacks that are second to none, players that are second to none. That's my job. And I'll tell you right now that the types of message I preach doesn't always go down with the body and the soul. And so sometimes there are reactions. And maybe, maybe sometimes you've had reactions. And that's okay. As long as you stay and we go through the process. Because I will not always say the things your body likes. I won't always say the things your soul likes. But if I cater to your body and cater to your soul, we could grow exponentially, but we're going to have a very carnal church. We want to grow deep in the spirit and spiritual things. Can I get an Amen. You see, a lot of pastors would be winding up right now and they wouldn't even have said what I said. But your spiritual strength in the hard days that are about to come upon the earth are of absolute paramount importance. And God needs a church that's strong in spirit. Not fluffy, but strong in spirit. Men who know how to be men but men of God, stronger in their spirit than in their flesh. Women who know how to be spiritual and know how to be strong in their spirit. And so he said this here after his several attempts and they keep falling asleep, he said, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. The flesh is an obstacle. Our body tends to be a stumbling block to spiritual things. My soul tends to be a stumbling block. They were never created to be masters, and they make terrible masters. How many of you have ever met somebody, they're awesome, awesome in the workplace, but the moment they get promoted, it goes to their head, and they are terrible bosses. Have you ever met someone like that? Okay, now look at yourself and say, that's me. And the reason why I say that, don't get upset. 
The reason why I say that is our body and our soul was never meant to be the boss of us. And when it is the boss, it is a horrible leader. But when your spirit is the boss, it is a brilliant leader. And so Jesus said, the flesh is a stumbling block. It's weak. The spirit is willing. And the Greek word for willing is promisthos. And it means that your spirit is always predisposed to do the will of God. Wow. If we would learn to live from our spirit, if I could silence this body and what it wants and silence my soul and learn to cater more and more to my spirit, what could God do with me? What could God do through me? What could God do through his church if we started to become spiritual? Madonna advocated, I'm a physical girl. I want to be a spiritual man for Jesus. How do we make our spirit grow? Last two weeks ago, I touched on two points which I'm going to touch on again today. Number one is repentance. Why is repentance important? Now, let me clarify something. When I get saved, when I first ask Jesus in my heart, I repent, and I come to Christ. But after that, when I repent, I'm not repenting so that, oh, goodness, I don't want to go to hell. I'm going to repent again. No, I'm in relationship with my Father. This is not a repentance so that I don't go to hell. I'm saved. It's a repentance to get divine order back in order in my life. Hello? Now, if I just want to live deliberately, live a lifestyle of sin, the Bible talks about repentance that produces fruit. A lifestyle of perpetual sin isn't repentance that produced fruit. It's a counterfeit. Repentance from the word of God produces fruit. Repentance is a change of mind and a change of action. Repentance isn't crocodile tears. Repentance isn't, oh, I feel bad, you know. I'm, I'm ashamed I got caught. I feel bad for a moment. Repentance is bringing the mind of intellect to a place where it decides, you know what? What I did was my way. It wasn't God's way. I am changing my opinion, and I am going to do things God's way. Amen. See, repentance reinstates divine order when we really understand what repentance is. Repentance gets confused for emotion. Now, I could have a change of mind, true repentance, and have emotion. But if you only have emotion, that's not spiritual repentance. That's remorse. Hello? There was a dude in the Old Testament. His name was Esau. And he really didn't have much of a heart for God. And so when he was hungry one day, his body wanted to eat. His brother had a heart for God and his brother was a good cook. That's a good combination. And his brother wanted the spiritual blessings that was on his older brother Esau. And Esau was hungry. He was out hunting and he's hungry. And so his brother 
Isaac cooked up a, a pot of lentils. Now, you might not like lentils, but if you grow up Italian, lentils and pasta, ah, awesome. Come to my house. I'll convert you. <laughs> and Esau smells the lentils, and his brother says, if you sell me the birthright, the God blessing on your life, if you give it to me, I'll give you this pot of lentils. And Esau exchanged his God blessing for a pot of lentils. That's in the Old Testament. You see, his flesh spoke louder than his spirit. Are you hearing me? Okay? The flesh makes a terrible master, and so does your soul. But your spirit will make a great master because it is prothesmos. It is always willing. It is always predisposed to do the will of God. How many of you would like to have something set in your body so that you're always predisposed to do the will of God? How many of you know if you could flick a switch and do that, you wouldn't get into hassles and difficulty and conflicts anymore? How many of you know that? It's the absolute truth. When we live by the Spirit, we won't fulfill or gratify those narky desires and attitudes of the flesh. And so Esau lost the blessing. This is what the Bible says about Esau in the New Testament. Now remember, he's already dead several thousand years. He's from the Old Testament. But everything from the Old Testament serves as lessons for us today. And so he's brought up in the New Testament, and in the book of Hebrews it says, even though Esau wanted to get the blessing back, and he even cried about it, he could not bring about a change of mind. In other words, there was a repentance that had remorse. That's not godly repentance. He didn't have the repentance that comes from God, and that is repentance that says, that's how I used to think, and those used to be my priorities. They're not going to be my priorities anymore. The things of God are going to become my priorities. Was that clear? Amen. And that's the journey we all need to be on. Repentance, if you'd put it on the screen, is acknowledging that those actions that are displeasing to God are now displeasing to you as well. And therefore, you refrain from them. That's real repentance. It might come with emotion. It might not come with emotion. It's a decision that you live by. Now that I'm born again, I don't repent to get saved. If I fail, if I mess up, if I had an attitude blowout, I had one this week. Don't leave. Come back next week. I had an attitude blowout this week. I did not repent because I was afraid I was going to hell. I'm a son of God. I love him. This isn't my lifestyle. That's not my lifestyle. I repented to bring divine order back into play in my life. And I, my mind and my emotions had to acknowledge that they took the lead over my spirit. And I mentally acknowledge, no, that's wrong. Asked my father to forgive me, told my mind and my emotions, you are going to obey the spirit of Rob Scarallo because the spirit of Rob Scarallo will always obey the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah. 
Are you with me, church? All right. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 to 27, you say, well, Pastor, why did you go the long route? Why did you go in all that? Because there's a misunderstanding in the church. I'm going to say something that a lot of Christians wouldn't understand because of misunderstanding. Repentance should be a, a daily thing. Unless you've reached a perfected life. We could always take a poll if you're married from your partner and find out if you've live a perfected life. Uh, there are too many funny thoughts going through my head. I rebuke those thoughts. I'm not going to say them in Jesus' name. All right, watch. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 to 27, Paul's talking about put on the new man which was created to be in the image of God. But he goes on to say, we always stop there. I'm a new creation, blah, blah, blah. He goes on to say, put off these things. And I'm going to pick just one thing that he talks about. Read the whole chapter. Make it your homework. He says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Guys, you know what that means? There are things that will tick me off regularly. I have to pull that emotion in and say, no, soul, you're made up of the mind of intellect and the mind of emotions, and I know your intellect is giving you a lot of reasons why you should be PO'd about that, and your emotions are in agreement, and they want to press the button that says will, where you take action. It wants to take control of my will, and there are a lot of, cut me off on the road, and I'll give you a lot of good arguments why I should tell you you're number one, and not with this finger. And my emotions start cheering me on. Go on, go on. And that Italian New York background of mine wants to come to the surface. And my spirit has to say, whoa, boy. That's how you're going to get in trouble. See? Yeah. It's good preaching when we're honest. When we're telling the truth because then everyone could relate to it. If I make believe that I never go there and I'm so supernatural, I'll never have a decent practical thing to ever preach to you. Yeah. So Paul says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Why? <laughs> what he's saying is, we need to take a shower every day. We need to repent. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You need to have a change of mind. Remember, repentance is not necessarily an emotion. It is a decision. And repentance is bringing my thoughts that are coming out of my soul, the mind of my intellect, and the mind of my emotions. I don't want to tell him what for. How many of you ever get annoyed and then brood on it all day? Yeah, the rest of you are liars, okay? <laughs> And Paul says, come on, by the end of the day, you need to bring your mind to a place of repentance. That is, whatever really got you PO'd, you need to bring your thoughts and your emotions back into agreement with God's and get your soul back 
under submission to your spirit. Is this good stuff? Come on, it's practical, but it's real. It's real, it's real. And he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. I, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a, a, a survey here. How many of you shower at least once a week? Put your hand up. Okay, if you don't, please don't put your hand up. For the sake of everyone next to you. How many of you take a shower every day? I take a shower every day. I perspire a lot. I take a shower every day. Sometimes I'll shower twice a day. I don't want to stink. I don't want to smell. Why is it we understand the hygiene of taking a shower every day, but we don't understand the spiritual hygiene of coming to a place of repentance every day? I don't get condemned about it. I get convicted. Condemnation always comes from the devil. And it sounds like this. You messed up, you're a screw up, your daddy was right, your mother was right, you're a failure, you're useless. Period. Conviction says, come on son, I love you. But you're wrong. And you need to straighten that out. And by the way, did I tell you? I love you. You see, conviction will pick us up so that we can get fixed up. Condemnation will put you down so that you stay down. Amen. Good preaching, Kenya. They're simple things, but they're practical and they're real. Okay? All right. Fasting. Fasting is telling your physical body and your soul, you're not the boss over me. Very quickly, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 to 15, and in Mark chapter 2, verse 18 to 20, different words are used. The story's told just verbally a little different, but basically the same message is said. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came over to Jesus and they said, how come your disciples aren't fasting? there on the screen. How come they're not fasting? And Jesus said something to this effect. While the bridegroom is here, the men in attendance to the bridegroom don't fast. But look at the last verse. But the days will come, verse 20, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. Is Jesus physically here with us now? Spiritually, he is. The bridegroom is going to come back. The Bible teaches us that. We are living in those days. That means fasting should be a normal part of our life. I know, that's, that's not commonly taught. I don't fast so that God accepts me. I fast so that my spirit stays dominant over my flesh, over my body, and over my soul. My body has raging appetites, from hunger to sexual appetites, all kinds of appetites. My soul has strong appetites. I'm a passionate kind of person. Whatever I do, I want to do passionately. I hope it comes out in the way I love Jesus. 
Does it come out passionate? Don't go quiet on me, not now. That wasn't a good time to go quiet. I need a bit of affirmation. I need a bit of affirmation. Does it come out in how I love Jesus? Do I look passionate? All right. Guys, listen to me. We need to curb the body and curb the soul. How do you grow in spirit? You will never grow in spirit if your body has more influence over you than your spirit. And you will never grow in spirit if the mind of your intellect and the mind of your emotions always convinces you to do differently and act differently than what the Word of God says. And so I've got to bring my physical body and my soul into submission to my spirit, which is prothesmos, always predisposed to do the will of God. Are you here? All right. Spiritual fasting is a lost art in the church today. Again, I don't fast to gain God's approval. I've got all of his approval. I don't do anything to make him happy. He's already happy with me. I'm accepted. I, I start life when I get born again at the finish line. I've arrived because of Jesus Christ. But how am I going to walk after the finish line? I don't fast to gain his approval. I fast so that my body, my physical body, and my soul doesn't become the Lord over me. You are a trinity. You are a trichotomy. You are spirit, soul, and body. And I want the soul and the body to be subservient to the spirit of Rob Scarallo. And the spirit of Rob Scarallo is predisposed to be obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. Am I making sense here, church? John, is this good stuff? I give you authority to teach it in your connect group. Okay, then I... <laughs> but it's just simple word. But we're afraid to break this stuff down because the body, people's bodies will react... And people's souls will oh, react. The soul reacts. Yeah. Well, believe me. If I told you to go on a fast and the cinnamon, cinnamon bomb truck was driving by, your body would react too. Well, never start on Monday. Never start on Monday. Whenever, the God, whenever God tells me to fast, it's amazing how much I'd love to have one more cinnamon bomb. Or one more hot dog. Or just one more... Bowl of pasta. It's amazing. Fasting is a lost art in the church today. Now I want to show you something as I conclude. Repentance is the restoration of divine order. Repentance is the restoration of divine order. How so? Because when, my, when I do things out of what my body wants and I do things out of what my soul wants and they're not in agreement with what God says is right. When I react to stuff and God says I need to be gracious, I'm living out of my soul, not out of my spirit. When I want to tell somebody what for and I'll tell them and my soul wants to tell them where to go, and it's not heaven. I am, 
At least she's honest. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. I need to come to a place where I have a change of thought because that's not God's thought. And so repentance, hear this, watch this. The reason why the devil wants you to think that repentance is something you don't have to do anymore as a Christian is because every time you repent, you are saying what my soul thought and what my soul felt and what my soul triggered in my will, the actions I committed, what my body wanted, what my body desired, and what I acted on is out of order with the word of God. And so when I repent, I change my opinion and I come into agreement with God's word. Whoa, divine order's being reinstated in my life. The devil doesn't want the church to understand that repentance is a good thing. I love taking a shower. I love smelling clean. I even buy me some soap so that I really smell clean, okay? And... Uh, <clears throat> Most people who have to work with me are really glad that I buy soap that makes me smell really clean. Repentance restores divine order. If I don't clean myself and take a shower on a regular daily basis, demons are happy because my life is in disorder, demonic disorder. I know, it's good preaching. Now watch this. I said repentance is the restoration of divine order. In Joel chapter 2, God says, even now, return to me with all your heart. I explained last week why he said all your heart. Because we could do it with just a part of our heart. You ever heard the phrase half-hearted? With all your heart. Check every aspect of the mind of your intellect, the heart is always the soul. Check every aspect of the mind of your intellect, the mind of your emotions, and your will. And make sure you love God with all of the mind of your intellect, all the mind of your emotion, and make sure that your will is submitted to his will. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. He's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in, love, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Now, I read this to you a week ago. I didn't read the next part. Look at this. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. When you fast, you are not just abstaining from food. You're saying, you know what? I'm not going to watch Netflix today. I'm not going to rent a movie. I'm not going to the movies. No, I'm not going to be an hour on the phone with my guy friends or my girlfriends, if you're a girl, a woman, okay? It, it says, I'm going to fast even from as much as I can social interaction rather than my soul being thrilled with, hey, how you doing, John? Yeah, shoot the breeze with me, dude. What's been going on? No, my soul wants information. It wants activity. No, I'm going to spend time tonight when I get home from work, and I'm going to put my worship music on. I'm going to get my Bible out, and it's going to be me and Jesus and the Holy Ghost Amen. and God the Father. 
This is a lost art. Instead of feeding my face, I'm going to feed my spirit. It's a lost art. You see, when I don't eat physical food, I chow into the meat of the word of God. When I get into worship, I drink from the spirit. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst, they will be filled. Right? When I hunger in the flesh, I, get, I make sure I get filled. We need to hunger in the spirit more so that we are predominantly acting out of our spirit. Okay, he says, blow the trumpet, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring the elders together, bring the children together, bring those that are nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Even young marrieds, newlyweds, let the priest who minister before the Lord weep before between the portico and the altar, let them say, listen, spare your people, Lord. We're heading towards elections. I'll tell you right now, the spiritual climate over this nation changes every time it's an election year. And it happens, I see it in the church, and people get, and not just politics, people change during that period. They do. And I see people becoming more intolerant, more cranky, more likely to be offended at something I preach. Politics aside, but when we come to that political period, I've watched it. I've been living here back in the States. I've come home. I've been here for over 25 years. I've been watching it as a preacher, as a man of God, watching the reactions in the church. I'm not even talking about political arguments. That's bad enough. But I watch people change in the church because we allow the spiritual climate to affect us. Are you hearing me? And this is what God says. Let them stand between the altar and the portico and let the people say, spare your people, Lord. Don't make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Listen, do you understand God told Israel that they need to cry out for the rest of the nation? How often does this get preached in American churches? We need to declare holy fasts and say, God, spare this nation. Don't enjoy the benefits of the United States of America when it was built on a Christian heritage and those benefits are still overflowing today to some degree but all of our sin is breaking it down. Don't enjoy the benefits of the United States of America if you can't fast and pray, God, spare this nation. That deserves everybody to clap. Come on. And I showed you last week, verse 28, and afterwards I'll pour out my spirit. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see dreams. Your, uh, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. God says revival comes. Why? Because when we repent, we bring divine order back. You see that? Divine order comes. Here's a scripture everyone's familiar with. If my people... Well, 
and seek my face. What's that? Next bit. Heal the land. You know what that is? Repentance is getting your mind of your intellect and your emotions back into agreement with God's heart. That's bringing divine order. And when God says, I will heal your land, what he's saying is, I'll take the divine order that you just brought yourself into and I will cause divine order to come onto your community and onto your nation as well. Whoa! Church, you don't understand how much power you have in the destiny of the United States of America. You don't understand. You think it's the ballot box that's going to determine where America's going. No, the church has been determining where America's going. And the reason why things aren't good is because we need to get our act together. When you and I pray and fast, God will heal the rest of the land. Do you understand? Do you get this? It starts with the head. We are the head. I don't care who's in the White House. I have more authority in the spirit than anybody in the White House. You have more authority in the spirit than anyone in the White House. So why do we think the White House is the one that's going to turn the heart of this nation around when the heart of the nation is the people? Show me one policy that's going to make a person cry out of conviction and turn to God and turn from their wicked way. Show me one policy that'll do that. I'm not saying politics isn't important. I'm not saying don't vote. Vote and vote according to biblical principles. Of course. But too often we as Christians walk, talk, and act like what happens in government is what's going to set the seal and the destiny for the USA. And we have been lied to. The devil has been lying in pulpits across America. You and I are the ones that determine the fate of this nation. And it's not by a physical vote. It's by the decision we make in our heart to be wholehearted about the things of Jesus Christ. Somebody give me an amen. Divine order comes when God's people start to cry out. God says, I'll let it affect the whole land. Good preaching. I said repentance is the restoration of divine order. I just gave you two scriptures from the Old Testament to prove it. Day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. They all start talking in tongues. They're full of the Holy Ghost. Peter becomes a preacher like never before. He changes. The power of God is on him more than ever. 3,000 people get saved. Put that anointing on me, Holy Spirit. He preaches. Next chapter, chapter 3, a few days later, him and John are going to the temple to pray. Very spiritual thing. The body doesn't like to pray. Ask the disciples before Jesus went to the cross. You can't let your body have the last say. You can't let your soul have the last say. You must live by your spirit. 
and my body doesn't always want to do what my spirit wants to do, one of them has to die. Hey, maybe that's why Jesus said, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Maybe. Food for thought. Hypothesis. Let it soak. They're on the way to the temple, and there's a crippled man at the temple. And he looks at Peter and John. He knew these guys, and they looked at him. Before they even started praying in the temple, a miracle happens. You know why? Because they were already praying in this temple. Yeah, that was a good thought, wasn't it? The guy gets healed immediately. A crowd comes around. Listen to what Peter says. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped out so that times of refreshing will come from the Lord. That word refreshing is anauxis, which means recovery of breath, a refreshing, a recovery of breath, literally and figuratively, you will be revived, revival. The concept of revival comes from this scripture. What, it, what is it saying? It says that when we repent, we come back in a divine order, and now divine order will not only be on us, it'll be in the community around us. I close, literally. Last Wednesday night, I called the church to prayer and fasting. I asked everyone, fast on Wednesday. I was so proud of all of you. We had 80 people show up Wednesday night. It was awesome. It wasn't a Sunday morning. We didn't have children's church. It was midweek. And I told everyone, fast. And the purpose was so that we would pray. And in the middle of the week, one-third of the Sunday morning attendants showed up to go without food and to pray and to worship. I was so impressed with all of you. I've been talking with our pastors. Really believe that God wants to do something and is doing something. How many of you believe God's doing something? Wasn't it incredible? Last week, 20 people got baptized in water. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Guys like Mike, that big, strong fella back there. Jennifer. Beautiful. Nick, another big guy. Yeah. Uh, Lacey. People all over this congregation, 20 got baptized. If you've never been baptized in water, join our discipleship class straight after church. Free food, free books. Uh, and they will take you through a series of seven discipleship lessons. If you've never done a foundational course and you've asked Jesus in your heart, you need to join up. It's your benefit. And then the church of Jesus Christ will benefit. Amen. You need to be baptized in water as an adult, not only as a child. If you were infant baptized, that's beautiful. Awesome. We won't scrub it out. But you must repent and be baptized. That means you have to make a mental decision. You couldn't do that as an infant. Encourage it. But 
80 people showed up Wednesday night. I was so thrilled. So thrilled. And so as me and the pastors talked, and I got to be honest with you, I really feel we need to come together Wednesday night again. We need to cry out for this nation. We need to say, God, spare your people. I don't like where America's going. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about spiritually. There is such a confusion amongst our, our young people today. They're having identity crisis. And unfortunately, people that are morally very liberal, okay, got to qualify everything I say so that it's politically correct. I'm not talking about liberal politics. I'm talking about people that are morally very liberal are feeding them this garbage and adding to their confusion. You can't change that. But we can fast and pray, and God can change it. Jesus said the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. I don't care, pardon me, I don't care the crap that's out there. I don't care how big that devil is. If the church is and rises up to be who she's called to be, then even hell itself can't stop a revival. Even hell can't stop a revival. And so I'm calling you to join us. You know, we were done by 8.30. It was an early night. In fact, I was shocked. I had so much time on my hands afterwards. I never realized the night was so long. I went shopping afterwards. And then I sat down and at home and I did some stuff on my computer. I had so much time. Join us at 7 o'clock. Fast on Wednesday. Right here. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. And we're going to cry out to God for America. Listen. If you're a Christian, then you should understand hell is real. And if you're a Christian, you should understand we're not in a good place. And if you're a Christian, you should understand Jesus didn't die on the cross only for your benefit. He died on the cross for your benefit and so that he could engage you to serve God for the benefit of everyone else. Thank you, Val. Lead them. Stand up, show them how to do that. Stand up, show them how to do that. Yeah, you did it really well. This Wednesday night, how about we have 100 people Wednesday night? What, what do you think the Spirit of God, what do you think the heart of God, what do you think Jesus would say? If in the middle of the week, this young lady, young Christian, her kids were in pajamas. You know that's how my parents raised us? That's how we raised our kids. Amber's nodding right behind you. I'm so proud of you. No one told you to do that. Your kids will benefit more by being under the presence of God than anything else. Absolutely. So I was so proud of you. Uh, and others had their children here in pajamas. Listen, I don't care if they make noise. If they're making more noise than us, shame on us. Honest. Oh, but they were running around. I didn't notice. I was engaged. I don't care. I don't care. Bring them. 7, 8.30. An hour and a half. What do you think Jesus' reaction would be? If 
a hundred people showed up and they fasted all day and they're actually crying out for their nation and not talking about politics. You think that'll thrill his heart? Hey? You think the father would be pleased with his kids? Now, I know he's pleased with us anyway. I don't do it to get his pleasure. There's no works. I do it to bring me into divine order because when I'm in divine order, God said, he'll affect my community. Stand with me. It starts with this. Do you know it's not about church, it's about the gospel. People think, oh, well, I got to get into this church thing. No, it's about the gospel. If you have never understood that every one of us are sinners, or at least were, we were known as sinners. And every one of us were lost and on our way to spiritual hell. But God really loves people so much that he came to earth and he was willing to endure all the garbage that you and I have to go through. And he identified with us, so much so, the Bible says he became one of us. And he allowed the hell of demons to be spat on him. Every rejection you've ever gone through, every wound in your emotions, every abuse, every disappointment, everything that makes you angry and makes you lash out, Jesus took the weight and the effect of all of that and he put it on himself and he went to a cross and he became the scapegoat. You know what a scapegoat is? It's the kid you blame when you did something wrong and the teacher's looking down your, your face. You blame someone else. Jesus willingly became the scapegoat and said, Dad, I'm going to take one for the team. How do you become the team? You say, Jesus, what you did, you did it for me. I need you in my life. And immediately you become part of God's family. Not because of what you did right. I could never do enough right to undo all the wrong I did. Trust me. And besides, same is true about you. We humble ourselves and say, Jesus, come into my heart. If you have never done that, if you've never asked Jesus in your heart, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. I need you to raise your hand right now and say, I want to ask Jesus in my heart. Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. God bless you. Who else? Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Who else? You want to ask Jesus in your heart today. Let him come in and start helping you to get divine order, a God atmosphere in your life. Who else wants to say yes to Jesus? Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. I see that hand over there. God bless you. This is the most important time of the service. These are life 
changing decisions. Not because of the changes you have to make, because of the change God will make in you. Amen. Anyone else want to raise their hand right now? You need to do that. I want everyone who raised their hand and everyone in this building to repeat a prayer after me. Keep your eyes closed. But especially if you raised your hand, let your heart speak. It'll be drowned out in the voices of everyone else, but let your heart speak. Repeat after me, dear God, I believe you love me and you care for me. Jesus Christ, I believe you died for me. I don't want that to be wasted. I've done enough wrong. I need your help. Heck, I just want you in my life. Jesus Christ, I open my life to you. Come, live inside of me. Live with me. Live through me. I want your company. And I want your direction. Jesus Christ, I accept you now. And I know you accept me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. And thank you for taking me out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing me into your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, about four or five people today ask Jesus in their heart. Awesome. Awesome. I encourage you, come on out Wednesday night. Go a day fast. And let's come at night. This will be good practice. This is 101, how to do this on your own. And we'll come at night. We're separating ourselves from the rest of the world. Yeah. And we're going to spend time with Jesus. It's a lost art in the church. John's disciples were fasting. The Pharisees were fasting. They said, Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? He says, because I'm here with them right now. But when I go, they will fast. How many of you are a follower of Jesus? He was talking about us. Fasting is not works. It's creating divine order. I'm making my body and my soul say yes to the Spirit of God. I have a serve card here. In about two weeks, April, the first Sunday in April, we're going to two services. I'm believing for a move of God's Holy Spirit. I really am. I'm believing that by the end of April, both services will be like this, full up, and more. We've run out of parking space. <laughs> you put a lid, a lid on a jar, you can't keep filling it more than the lid. The parking is our lid. I got to reach the world, at least in this area. I need as many volunteers as I can get. Let me, let me explain something to you. We have four people saying hello on the doors. If you're here today, did somebody welcome you at the door and smile? 
Yeah. To me, that's extremely important. Because the most welcoming place on earth should be the church. So for one service, that's four people. Four times a month, that's 16 people. If I require people to only do it once a month so that it's not burdensome, some, that's 16. If I go to two services, that's 32. That's just the door. As I met with my team this week and we're getting ready to go to two services, they said, you realize that after 200 people go through the church, the bathrooms are dirty. They're a bit smelly. There's toilet paper on the floor sometimes. Things need to be wiped. Yeah, I'm going to tell you something. This is God's honest truth. This morning, I came here all iron, starched, clean. Smell me. I smell clean. Before I started my day as the preacher, I started my day as the servant. Some kids were playing. I'm not telling them off. There's no problem. I don't have a problem with it. They had a little cup of water. They left it in one of the walkways. No problem. Doesn't matter who did it. I assume it's a kid. I'm assuming. I saw it there. Someone's going to hit it. I picked it up, emptied the water, threw the cup away. I went to the restroom for a moment. I lifted the lid for a moment. It looked very used. I got a paper towel, wet it, put some soap. I'm preaching. I wiped it clean. Because I want clean bathrooms. I walked out of the bathroom and started walking up the hall to come to the multi-purpose room to get my stuff and there was a candy wrapper on the ground. I don't bend as well as I used to bend when I was 19. I bent down and I picked it up. You see, I might be the pastor but I'm also a servant. And if you ever lose the title of servant, go back to the beginning and start all over again. Because it doesn't matter how high and mighty we think we are or how much we get promoted. Jesus washed stinky, smelly, tinea-filled feet. And he was God. So unless you're higher than God, you need one of these. <laughs> and you need to fill it out today. We have little boxes where you can put these. We must get more people saved. We must. The parking lot is a lid. So we're going to two services. Because the Bible says preach to the whole world. Help me. Help me. Do your spiritual responsibility. It's not beneath the senior pastor. Follow my example. Let's not be leaders the way the world is. In the world, you're the leader, you're the big shot, and you kick everyone else in the butt, and they don't like it, you kick them out. In the church of Jesus Christ, you're, the, you're a leader, you are a servant first. Because a leader without a servant heart is a leader who's gone rogue. In the kingdom of God, leadership 
is married to servanthood. Don't we need more of that in the pulpits? And let me tell you, we need it more in the church too. The same way we need it more in the pulpits, we also need it in the congregation. So grab one of these on your way out, fill it in, hand it in, and help us win more people for Jesus. Guys, you've been awesome. You have been so attentive. I literally pray, Dad, look at them. They, they have been so attentive as I preached. Bless them. Grow their spirits, Father. Bless them. I thank you for these people. Dad, we need a move of your spirit. Save America again. Save your churches and help us to get on track. In Jesus' name, And everyone said, amen. amen.